thank you so much. I hope there won't be quite the same kind of excitement this morning as was last Sunday, but heard about that, but I appreciate it. You know, you used the term, you're glad you're in the right place, and I love that. I, I honestly, sitting here, uh, standing here, worshiping with you, it just feels like the right place. It just, it genuinely does. Um, I've been a, a pastor with Converge for, oh, I don't know, the, the last 35 years or so in various places, and, and this is, it's just good to be here this morning. Um, I, I noticed in the songs that were being sung, so many of them spoke about God's consistency. God was constant. One of the things that was mentioned is God never changes and Jesus never changes. And we, we spoke about that or we sang about that and then sang about how in response to that we worship, we love Jesus. And, and we trust that that is what, something that can be a real response. But also there, there's more than just an emotional love toward Jesus that he wants. He wants a response from us. And you as a church have been doing that. You have been partners with the Timothy Initiative for the last three years, uh, and I, I looked through what, you know, how, what your partnership has been like, and I saw that as of July 1st, this church has partnered with TTI to the place that you have now planted exactly 99 churches. <laughs> 99. And those are, those are largely in India. Uh, Nepal, I believe, and, and you have seen that happen. But what was very exciting as well, you know, you were at about 50 churches or so, and then last December, you took another step up. And I think it was during the month of December, you said, you know, let's, let's just see what we can do. And uh, an offering came in that you were able to plant 42 more churches just in December. So, you know, you, 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 this is the right place. This is the right place. And it's so good to be able to be here. Um, you know, I, I realize I've never spoken with the notes over here, so if you see me kind of posing, um, uh, Ryan maybe is, is used to that. Um, so, you know, thank you for letting me share this morning. Until last March, I was uh, a converged pastor down in Federal Way and, um, and then in SeaTac the last three years. Um, and I've been connected with the Timothy Initiative through the Timothy Initiative there at Church in Federal Way. We're able, over the last eight years, to be able to plant a bunch of churches. And it's neat to be able to now that, that I get to really share what TTI is doing um, with, with a number of different people. And I love being involved in missions, love being involved in ministry, love being involved in, with missions work, missionaries. But, but it wasn't always that way. And I just have to tell you that. Uh, this is not something I've shared with very many people at all, and uh, that's the truth. But, and, and in fact, having been a pastor for so many years, it's almost embarrassing to say this, but um, this whole missions thing, even though I grew up in church, around church a lot, I never did love this missions thing. In fact, I didn't even like this missions stuff. Uh, in my opinion, as a kid growing up in church, missionaries were some of the least interesting people to listen to at all because they were always there when the pastor had to be gone. And so he would arrange for a missionary to come fill the pulpit. And to me, they just weren't very interesting. They had snake skins. They didn't have very many pictures back there in the dark ages. And, uh, and it just, it, to me, it, it just wasn't me at all. Uh, there were half the people in church, there was half the energy, and it just, it just wasn't me. And that, that, was, that was for a long time. Uh, in fact, when I even got to Multnomah Bible College, uh, I still, 
didn't care for it at all. I did what I could to skip during chapel the weeks that the missionaries spoke because I knew in my mind what missionaries were like. Um, I was an unrepentant mission disliker. And that's just the way I was, which is very, very different than my wife. My wife, Joan, is right here. Some of you met her. Um, she's the mom of six children, all six of them mine as well. And we raised them all. But, but Joan had a very different life. She grew up with missionaries in her home. They were around the table where she ate. Her parents invited them. Um, she, would, she would read missionary biographies at home for fun. She wasn't even told to. This is just the life she lived. At missions conferences, she would ask the missionaries, how can I become a missionary? And she would listen from them, and that was her plan until she met me down in Dallas, Texas, and I ruined her. I, I changed her plans. And so that, you know, that, that's just the reality. We, we were kind of different in those ways. Um, if I were to ask people here this morning, some of you would say, hey, I'm with Joan. I, I'm just right there. I've always been. There's some of you I know who are with me who you, you grew up and you just didn't care for this missions thing. You tried to skip it when missionary speakers came, when we accidentally showed up in church and they were there. You thought, oh, great, I thought it was my fishing day, you know. So, so um, some of you are with you. I feel your pain. I feel your pain. Uh, I, I do. Um, but, but here's the rest of the story. Even though I was a missions disliker, unrepentant one, God did some things over those next years that changed my, my heart and flipped a switch on in me. He did some things. How did a sneaky God do that? At Bible college, during one mission, one week missions conference, I was forced to sit in a small group. There was a missionary from Spain who was leading the group. And he started just talking. He says, you know, there in Spain where we serve, 99% of the people are not born-again Christians. And the 99% of those never attend church except rarely on Christmas and on Easter. And he said, get this, you never run out of people you can talk to Jesus about. I thought, wouldn't that be interesting? Everybody where I grew up, you know, they'd all known about Jesus, but not there. And then, then that same week, I got forced to sit in another group with a, with a man who was a Bible translator. And that Bible translator said, you know, I've been working in translation all these years. It, it takes about 12 years to do a, a decent translation of the Bible. He says, but they are just now starting to do this thing, this thing called computers. Have you ever heard of one? You, you've heard of one. And, and they're going to start using computers that will change the time that it takes to translate the Bible from 12 years down to about five years. Incredible. I thought, now this is, this is new to me. This is so very different because no longer did missions seem to be something old, old-fashioned, dusty, out there nowhere. This, this was kind of cutting-edge stuff. And, and the, both of these missionaries said, you know, you could make a difference. And for the first time in my life, I was thinking, you know, these are missionaries who are simply saying, you know, you, in whatever you're able to do, you can be involved in what God's doing around the world. Instead of what I had always thought missionaries talked about was whenever they talked, they made me feel guilty that I either wasn't on the mission field or I wasn't already eaten by some cannibal out of some grass hut. That's just how I came to missions. God flipped a switch in my mind that changed me because I was personally introduced to real human being missionaries. I saw what they did. I saw that what it could do is I could make a difference myself and even what they were doing. That maybe down the line, it, it wouldn't take 
thousands of years to get all these Bibles translated. Instead, it might just take like a hundred years. And things were changing in my mind to where through the contact with those missionaries, through what I was hearing, I saw the missions was not something that was just for the old people in the church. It maybe was even for me. Since then, I have, I've been overseas a couple of times. And these were mission trips. But some trips I, I, I saw and I met people in different parts of the world. I could look in their eyes and I could see their eyes were empty. And it showed that some hearts were empty. And again, for the first time, I saw people who had no hope, empty hearts, no possibility of being with God for an eternity unless somebody showed Jesus to them. Those are the kinds of things that changed me. Flipped the switch from deliberately being off to on. And I trust that some of what I share this morning might just flip one or two switches this morning. So let me pray. We're grateful that you are the God who has given us life. Jesus, you are that constant one, that constant one who says there is no other way to hope and life but through you. And I pray as I talk about these things, what you are doing around the world, that you will be the one who is working in our hearts, working in our minds. In your name, Jesus, we pray it. Amen. Uh, most of you have heard of the Great Commission. Well, today, I want to tell you about, come back, well, you've seen the entire sermon, no, 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 now close your eyes, close your eyes, don't look. You've heard of the Great Commission. I, this morning I'm going to tell you about, and that was 100% 100, 100 my fault, the Great Completion. Tell you about the Great Completion. Um, there are some amazing things that Jesus is doing around the world today that are different than a lot of those years that I was growing up. I believe that there are the kinds of things that are happening right now in the world that uh, in your lifetime you may be, may be able to say, the Great Commission has been completed. Now I want to describe it to you. There's something I never heard growing up, but I truly do believe it's something we can talk about. For 1,988 years, Christians have been trying to get the gospel out to people. They've done it knowing that this verse says, you people, you, speaking to each one of us, you go out into the world, you make disciples of all the nations, all the ethnos, all the ethnic, all the people groups on the face of the earth. So there in the early church, they went from uh, Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria, and then throughout the entire Roman Empire, bringing the gospel to people. Why did they do that? Well, it's because of this. Jesus had said these words in Matthew chapter 24 that they all knew. Jesus said the words, this gospel must be, or will, the gospel of the kingdom will be preached, will be proclaimed in the whole world as a testimony to all of the ethne, all of the nations. And he says, then the end will come. Now catch that. There is a barrier that he says to the end coming, however you interpret the end in your own belief about end times. But before the end times, Jesus says, there's one mark to be met. And that is the gospel of the kingdom preached to all the people groups on the face of the earth. He says, that's, that's what it is. Think about this. Um, 
Jesus said one prerequisite. That is the promise. says, when that happens, then look to the end of the clock. What does it look like in the end? Here is, it, is the fulfillment of it. Revelation 7, verse 9. After this, John the Apostle said, I looked. He's there at seeing heaven. And there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every ethnos, every people group, every tribe, every people, every language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. Think about this. There are going to be people worshiping Jesus who are wearing different color clothing than you, speaking different languages than you, having an entirely different background than you, but citizens of the same heaven that you are. In heaven, when the fulfillment happens that Jesus said would happen. I, I just finished uh, a couple months ago being an interim pastor there in SeaTac. Um, we, we were there for almost three years because down in Seattle area, this little thing called COVID kind of rearranged. I don't know if you've heard about that. And you might catch a little bit of feedback that is not me, but uh, on the sound, on the speaker sound. You got it. Um, but in the church in SeaTac, um, over the last 30 years, the, the people around SeaTac have changed tremendously. Um, at this point, there are about 33% of the people in the city of SeaTac that are born entirely outside the United States. And I said to the people in the church, you know, if you get to, I don't know what it's like in Bellingham, but you have a significant uh, immigrant population as well, I believe. I said, you know, if you ever get tired of these people wearing entirely different garb, standing in line in front of you in Safeway, or you get people who are speaking entirely different languages, driving up, picking up their kids from elementary school. If you get tired of, of people that look entirely different than you, there at the bank or where you get your hair cut or everywhere you go, I said, then, then just pause for a minute and realize this. The next time you see them, you may be kneeling around the throne of Jesus with them singing praises to Jesus Christ. Those are the people that Jesus says, I want them to come to know me. And it may be the same here. Those are people around you that when Jesus comes into the life, he wants to change their life radically. Uh, heaven is going to be the most diverse place in the, the world. Well, in the universe. Outside the universe. It just is. So, you get the promise. The promise is, Jesus says, as soon as the gospel is preached to all the ethne, then it is free for the end to come. The solution is, hey, it's going to happen. Uh, that, that's the fulfillment. What is the solution? How is it going to happen? Maybe you've heard this verse. Between the promise and its fulfillment, verse that says, go into all the world and you and you, and you. You're the ones who are to make the disciples of all the ethne. Ever heard that verse? I bet Pastor Ryan preaches on it every, every other Sunday. It is saying this, the solution, Northwest Church, the assignment you have is to be a disciple maker. Not just here or near, but around the world. Every one of us is to be a disciple maker of all of the nations all of the people groups around. That's all. Starting in Bellingham and reaching to the world, every one of us is to be somebody who is influencing others to know and to, to appreciate Jesus Christ as Savior. When I, and, and, excuse me. 
When I was growing up, pastors would say, you know, that's what we're supposed to do. Yeah, it's going to take like 25 lifetimes to get it done, but go do it. And missionary um, translators, Bible translators would say, yeah, we've got a lot of languages, but got to start somewhere and it's going to take forever. And it always, in my mind, I kept thinking that's forever is way, way, way beyond. I stopped taking my last breath. But today is a different world. Today it's within reach. And I want to tell you why I know that. It had seemed endless, but today the solution is within reach. There are 2,000, let me get these stats, there are 2,002 languages that have no Bible translation at all. There are 3,425 more that have only little bits of Scripture in them. You think, man, that's a long ways to go. But technology has advanced to the place where now Bible translators have a target that every single language on earth will have a piece of the scripture in their language by, get this date, December 31, 2025. Two years and five months. Every language will have a, will have a portion of scripture. And in just 10 years and five months, in uh, 2033, every language will have the entire Bible in their own tongue. We've never been able to say that before. Never. But the project is in motion to see it happen. There are also 7,000, let me see, yeah, 7,007 ethnos, ethne, that is people groups on the face of the earth that have not yet been engaged with the gospel. And we're hearing it just a little bit more of the ringing. 7,000 of them. Um, I remember growing up again, hearing that it was going to take forever to reach so many people. But as of a year ago, there is now a group, a ministry, that with the capability and the intention of targeting every single one of the 7,007 unreached people groups by December 31, 2025. Now, that doesn't mean that there will be believers in every one of them. Many of them have never had a church, have never had a believer. Some of those groups have 38 million people in them. Some are down to 500 people. But within two and a half years, there will be feet on the ground in every one of those 7,000. We've never been able to say that in history. And yet today, it's a different world. That's just two and a half years. Soon, every people group on the face of the earth. Oh, the aim is also by, well, um, yeah. Soon, there will be people from every people group worshiping around the throne of Jesus. And we've never been able to say that before in history. Uh, the, the Timothy Initiative that I serve with has 1,392 of those people groups with people reaching them. Now, I'm just giving you a bunch of stats. Those, those are the kind of the big numbers of what's going on. Revelation 7 is no longer some fuzzy, way off in the distance dream. It is something that is within reach for us. Many of you are going to have one of the greatest days of celebration when the last of those Bible translations are published for those people groups. You're going to see it. Some of you will see it. We're still here. Isn't that incredible? 
you know, that this is the right place, the right time to live in. You're going to see in our own lifetime the fulfillment of the great completion. That doesn't mean everybody will have, a, uh, will be a believer. It doesn't mean that everybody will even have heard. But what it means is that every people group will have the capacity. Because you see, right now the complication is access to the gospel. Um, many of you drove by or you walked by, you know, between five and ten churches just to be here this morning. In most of the world, that's not true. The places where the Timothy Initiative reaches, there's just one church in a vast area. And that church is meeting in a house, in a riverbed, under a tree. Who knows? But, but it is, folks, is within reach to get, have the access to the gospel where three billion people right now have no access, but have the access grow to that time for the first time in history. And does that mean then uh, we don't have to do anything? No, it means exactly the opposite. It means the opportunity is there for every single one of us to be involved in seeing that the access to the gospel is brought to so many of these people. It means that there's greater um, uh, effectiveness in what is happening to reach the people, a greater uh, efficiency. Uh, it's just people are coming to Christ like never before. Every one of us has the possibility of being involved in seeing it happen. Now, how can that happen? i tell you this. That's why I love being part of this group called the Timothy Initiative. Uh, it's, it's started by a man named, named uh, David Nelms. He spoke here, I think, four or five years ago. Maybe you've met him. I think he swung by last July sometime. And um, I've got to, he's, David is a friend of mine. I connected with him first about nine years ago when I first heard about the Timothy Initiative. And David and I uh, talked for about three hours, and I said, you know, it just sounds too crazy. What you're saying sounds almost impossible to be a reality. But over these last nine years, I've become very acquainted with it as a pastor and now serving with it full time. And it is just amazing what God is doing through this ministry. I know you've heard about it from, uh, from Pastor Ryan and, and David Nelms, but I want to share for a couple of minutes what I've seen with my own eyes, what God is doing around this world. TTI has developed a system by which um, people are led to Jesus Christ, discipled, so that they're able to train others, we're able to train others also, and then churches are started through the process. You have at least one group involved in that right here. I know, in fact, I, I met with them uh, about a year ago. Um, this system has master trainers who train Pauls, who train Timothys, who train Tituses, who start churches. That's TTI in a nutshell. Every single one of those trainers all the way through, there's not American, one American involved in the whole bunch of them. TTI makes disciples and make disciples and make other disciples and make churches. It's just it's this ongoing thing. When I first heard about it, it seemed crazy. So my wife and I went on a trip to India with uh, David Nelms about eight years ago. Saw some amazing things. We visited two training centers where there were 20 or 25 uh, younger people who were being taught how to, to pass the gospel on, how to train others, how to lead people to Christ. Um, throughout that time, um, many, many churches have started, and TTI now has 2.4 million people that have come to Christ since it started. 121,000 churches, as of that was as of uh, July 1st. 121,000 churches have been started. Um, see this man on the right? We visited him, uh, the man on the far right. Um, 
in, in the Timothy Initiative, they're required to go through two years of training and to plant a church before they can graduate. The man on the right, when we met him, he had been in training for a year and a half. He had led dozens of people to Jesus Christ. He had started four churches by that time. That's why so much is happening around the world. I got to preach at one of those churches on that Sunday morning. It took four hours to drive there, and I got to preach to this church. It was 100 degrees outside. There were about 60 people inside the small room that was half the size of this, this up here. And then after preaching, and then we took some pictures. Can you guess which one is me? Um, you know, the, the jolly white giant. But what an incredible opportunity to see these people passionate for Jesus Christ, wanting to get the gospel out to people. Let me back that up once more. Um, no, no, wrong direction. Um, that's what Jesus was doing in India. I want you to see what he is doing in a country I just got back from visiting a week ago. Uh, I spent uh, about nine days in Kenya introducing pastors to the Timothy Initiative. And we visited, uh, we visited a number of churches. One of them, you see, featured by the one who this video is about. Some of you may have seen this before, but there's a reason I'm showing it to you. Let's see what is happening in the Daasaj people, Daasanath people of Kenya.
That's quite a story. There's a reason I wanted you to see that, though. Peter, who's the church planter, spent a lot of time with him last week, uh, two weeks ago. And the man who had thrown the stone at the screen, uh, his name is Absalom. He was one of the most well-known people, camel farmers and goat farmers in that entire region called Turkana. He passed away, and at his uh, memorial, I think it was 37 people came to Jesus Christ. And his life still echoes down through them. See the picture on the screen in front of you? On the screen, on the, in front of you there? That's the first church that was started by Peter, where the Jesus film inst- brought the, the stones at the screen. Um, when we visited there uh, two weeks ago, uh, there were 150 to 180 believers worshiping as we came up to the tree. That is the church. They meet under a tree still today, seven years later. They were worshiping with joy, excitement. You know, I've got to say this. Even in all the churches I've ever pastored, they have a whole lot more fun in church than in any of my churches. They, they love to worship. They love to express joy to Jesus. We met the church planter, Peter. <clears throat> met the son of the man who had thrown the stones at the, at the screen, the Jesus film. And uh, the reality, though, is that, that church was just the start. The next day, we visited uh, its daughter church. Its daughter church that meets under a, uh, under a steel roof. Uh, it was about three and a half hours by land cruiser across the roads to get there. We came up. There were about 85 people underneath there just worshiping Jesus, men, women, children. It's an amazing thing. Peter had started that church. The pastor of that church is Eloi Eloi. That wasn't the end also. Then we went to the third church, which also meets under then a tree. There were somewhere 85 to 100 believers there that have been meeting now for just three years. That had been planted by Peter's disciple, Eloi Eloi, I believe his name was Jonathan. And Jonathan planted this church, and they worship every Sunday under a tree. It takes them two hours by motorcycle to get there. But they've come to know Jesus. And then the, ne- oh, and then the next church we visit, let me back up, the next church we visit, I don't have a picture. It was within a steel church building again. And there are another hundred people. The sound system is ten times the volume of any church I've ever been in there in Kenya. And they were worshiping, and then a woman was introduced, uh, Mother, Mother uh, Estera. She wouldn't start the church, but she was the heart of it because she was an alcoholic who had been introduced to Jesus by an audio Bible that was playing on the street by somebody. She came to know Jesus through that audio Bible and says, you know, I can't read, but I can get an audio Bible that just plays the Bible and play it for people. She is the impetus that started that church, entirely started by people who cannot read but only listen to audio Bibles, and they are there today, and there were, like I said, uh, 80 to 100 people in that church. All started because this woman had heard the Bible through TTI Church Planter and just heard it herself. And they have started other audio Bible churches. Then we came to this church. This is actually a fifth-generation church that meets under a tree. Yeah, meets under a tree um, that is started, was started actually by, by a woman who had such a heart, she rides her motorcycle two hours over 
land to see that church start, and she's got a heart to help others plant churches beyond her. Oh, by the way, that church there only started last February, and they've got uh, 85 people or so in it. Generation after generation after generation, and this is five generations of church planters you see there. There are in these churches, there are men, a man, they sit on these little stools. They're about this tall, and they can sit on those stools for two hours at a time during a church service. They're much longer. I was told by Pastor Ryan that I could preach for two hours this morning. Well, let me do it shorter than that. But there's lots of men, and, and a lot of times we talk about men as those that become disciple makers. But there are also a lot of women, beautiful colors, and, and in that part of the world. There are women who have lots of children, and by the way, there are lots of children that come to Jesus. You see, TTI is not just about old adults coming to know Jesus. It's about women and children. Uh, probably a third to a half of the churches are children. And by the way, um, they don't have to send the children out for children's church during the sermon. They sit there and they don't make a peep in the midst of an hour-long service, incredibly well-behaved. Even the women on our trip were amazed at the way the children behaved. Folks, when, when people give money to start a church, it's not just old adults, it's kids. Kids that will live for Jesus for a lifetime. You know, we, we talk to those in India, talk to those in Kenya, and I ask the question, why is it that you have chosen to leave the faith you grew up in, uh, Muslim, Buddhist, um, Hindu, etc. And they, they know that they would be kicked out of their, their family, kicked out of their business, uh, shunned by the world around them. And they said this in both places. They said, we, we gave it all up to believe in Jesus because Jesus gives us hope. And for the first time in our lives, we have hope. We're willing to give it all away because Jesus has changed us and given us hope forever. We visited small churches. We visited large churches. You see, the typical TTI church has got 20 people in it. The ones I showed you, those that we visited, have anywhere from 30 to 180 people. When I first heard about TTI, um, David introduced it, and, he, and I said, so, hey, how much does it cost? He, he told me, I said, that much a month? I said, we can do that. He said, no. Um, right, right now, it costs $400 total to start any one of those churches. You know, the church was 180 people. Somebody gave a certain amount, $300, $400 for it to start. They got a deal. Look at all that they saw happen. Most churches are around 20 people. Some start multiple churches. I was simply amazed when I heard, and today, it costs $400 total to start a church that can reach 20 to 200 people for Jesus Christ. In the United States, it'll cost half a million dollars. A very different world. cost of a couple of Starbucks drinks and you get a church started. In a year, $400 starts a church, $34 a month. It's that simple. You know, I, I, I came this morning because I wanted you to see what God is doing. 
what he's doing in the world that you are involved in. And Northwest has been an incredible partner seeing almost 100 churches started. As a body, you have seen that happen. But I want to describe for you the reality that it doesn't just have to happen church as a body. It can happen individual to individual to individual. You know, said for the cost of like one Starbucks drink, two a week, you can start a church. Four a week, you can start two or three churches over a year's time. You received uh, a card when you came in. On the front is a bunch of descriptions about the Timothy Initiative, that green card you received. One of these, and it describes TTI. And on the back, though, it says, hey, here's, here's a way that you can become personally involved in seeing this kind of generation after generation after generation of a church started. The congregation is seeing that happen. But I want to give you an opportunity as an individual, as a family, to be able to see it happen, that you can become a church planter. Remember what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians. He says, you know, uh, one person planted the seed, another person watered it, God causes the increase. All of them are church planters. I'd like you an opportunity to become a church planter this morning. On that card at the top, on the back side, it's got your name. You can put your name. But in the middle is a way to respond to what you're hearing God is doing and becoming a partner even more so as an individual in what God is doing. How you can become a church planter. But the first box says you can become one of those who pray. And that's, that's the easy way out, honestly. You get one email a month. David Nelm sends you an email. You read it, pray for what he says to pray for, and then you delete the email and forget about it for the next month. Is that easy? And you could sign up for to be part of that and put your, just put your name and email address and check that box, and you can get it done very, very easily. But I want to challenge you to be even more involved in that. The second box says, I want to join what we call the Church Planner Circle. And that's just you, you commit to giving $34 a month and over each year, you plant a church with just that. $68 a month, and you plant two churches a year. Each of those will bring 20 to 40 people to Jesus Christ. You know that the uh, 100 churches that this church has started, you've seen, there have been somewhere around 2,000 people come to Jesus. You can be a catalyst to see it happen yourself. By the way, your elders said I could introduce this to you, just so I don't get in trouble. I would challenge you. Look at, we're going to take just a moment for you to look at that. Oh, and by the way, that's this. And that QR code would lead you right to it. If you like uh, to do it uh, on your phone, same QR code is right there. And you could uh, just scan it and do it all right there, even before we finish this morning. I'd like you to consider that. Over the next about 90 seconds, uh, Mark, you want to play? And I'd like us to, to pray. I'd like us just to look at that, see what God is saying to you. Maybe he's challenging you to be one of those church planters who sees another group come to Jesus that has never had a church there before, never a believer before, but because you have been a giver, you are able to see it happen. You are able to see it happen.
And by the way, over, over the next few years that you have committed to that, maybe there are more than just here this morning who will. Uh, we will add the total of the churches that individuals from this body to the total that Northwest Church is planting. You know, you're, you're doing it together, but as individuals as well. So would you bow your heads? Um, and while, while Mark plays over the next about 90 seconds, I'd like you to look at that and see how the Lord, the Spirit of God, would like you to respond. Almighty Lord God, you are the one we sang of. You are the one who received our worship about your love, about your steadfastness, about how we could always trust you to never change. Your gospel never changes. It is that same good news that you told those who listened to you face to face. It is that same gospel, that same promise of good news that you give to us to be able to bring to, to an entire world. Lord, it is, a, it is an amazing thing you've been doing over these years and the opportunity before us to be part of where the action is, of planting churches, of seeing individuals come to know you. Lord, for so many years, I know I grew up thinking, oh, that's for somebody else. That's, that's what other people can do who go. And yet, Lord, uh, for us that are here, you have opened up the door for us to go with those who have their feet on the ground. Thank you for that chance. Lord, I pray for those who respond to you, who hear you, who want to be church planters, who want to see disciples made. Thank you that you can do a great thing through this, this body that's called Northwest Church. You are the God who has given us life. Thank you that we can share that with the billions who have not yet heard. Thank you that you have not allowed us to be one of the 154,000 who die every single day without you. Lord, thank you for the difference that this body can make. Thank you for making the difference in our life. Lord, may you be praised through the love that these people have for you, demonstrated by being part of your great completion work. Lord, bless this church, one of those hero churches of the faith that's making a difference in the entire world. Jesus, thank you that we can pray in your good name. Amen.